Welcome back, and thanks for joining us on our podcast channel. I'm Sherry Jorgensen, and I'm going to talk to you about parenting teenagers. And if you're not a parent, of, if you're a parent of kids and you're not a parent of teenagers yet, I want to tell you that teenagers are amazing and wonderful. I remember as my oldest one grew up, people said, "Oh, wait till she's nine. I thought, "Oh no, nine's going to be so hard." And then she turned nine, and she was wonderful. Wait till she's eleven. Wait till she's thirteen. Wait till she's fifteen. And now she's eighteen, almost nineteen, and she's been delightful the whole time. And I've worked in the young women and, and I've absolutely loved all my youth. They're just fantastic. And I enjoy all the children that come over to our home to hang out. I'm so passionate about teenagers because they are just absolutely in the middle of a war. And it's so easy for us to forget this. I mean, we're in the middle of a war as well, but it's nothing compared to what our teenagers are doing. I love what President Eyring said in his talk in 2009, his, he talked called Man Down, and he says, you will need bravery and you will need boldness because you are enlisted in the Lord's army in the last dispensation. This is not a time of peace that has been so since Satan array, arrayed his forces against our Heavenly Father's plan and the premortal existence. We don't know the details of the combat then, but we know one result. Satan and his followers were cast down into the earth, and since the creation of Adam and Eve, the conflict has continued. We have seen it intensify, and the scriptures suggest that the war will become more violent, and the spiritual casualties on the Lord's side will mount. I don't know if that's devastating to you, but it's true. We are losing our warriors. We, Satan is real. The battle is real, and it's a hard fight. And President Russell Nelson enlisted our children in the Lord's Battalion. And so after that, I was reading my scriptures. And one of my favorite things to do is apply the scriptures to my life today. And I don't know if you follow spiritualcrusade.com, but on there I put quite a few applications to the scriptures. And it's really fun because as you read the scriptures and you're dealing with teenagers or toddlers or your first baby, the scriptures can just absolutely speak to you at that moment. And so Alma 60, which is talking about a war, um, it just screamed to me of what we're talking about here, this spiritual war that's going on. And, um, you know, uh, President Russell M. Nelson spoke of the need to teach and help raise a sin-resistant generation. In that phase, a sin-resistant struck a deep spiritual chord within me. We honor children who strive to live pure and obedient lives. I have witnessed the strength of many children throughout the world. They stand resilient, steadfast, and immovable. In a variety of challenging circumstances and environments, these children understand their divine identity, feel Heavenly Father's love for them, and seek to obey His will. However, there are children who struggle to stand steadfast and immovable, and whose delicate minds are being wounded. They are being attacked on every side by the fiery darts of the adversary and are in a need of reinforcement and support. They are an overwhelming motivation for us to step up and rage a war against sin in our own effort to bring our children unto Christ. That was by Joy D. Jones. And I absolutely agree. So um, every time I read Alma 60, I feel like it's an epistle to parents referring to the spiritual war that is raging in our children's lives. It's a letter of a warning of what will happen to them if we don't do our part. Or maybe it's a letter of their spirits screaming at us now because they need more. Maybe we aren't doing enough. They are worried about our complacency and ignorance. They are at war and need our help. 
As I read it, I can feel them pleading with us to help them, asking us, where are you? You were supposed to arm us with all forms of weapons and protection so that we could battle the evil armies that are inevitably going to attack. We don't have enough sufficient supplies. The spiritual slaughter has been great and the suffering severe. We have suffered from loss of faith and hope. All of this is because of the complacency. We need you to focus on leading us. We need the power of Christ in our lives. Help us. And I get that from Alma 62 through 5. And I'm going to read what that says. It says, For behold, I have somewhat to say unto them by the way of condemnation. For behold, ye yourselves know that ye have been appointed to gather together men and arm them with swords, with scimitars, and all manner of weapons of war of every kind, and send forth against the Lamanites in whatsoever parts they should come into our land. And now behold, I say unto you that myself and also my men and also Helaman and his men have suffered exceedingly great sufferings, yea, even hunger, thirst, fatigue, and all manner of afflictions of every kind. But behold, were this all we had suffered, we would not murmur nor complain. But behold, great has been the slaughter among our people. Yea, thousands have fallen by the sword, while it might have otherwise been, if ye had rendered unto our army sufficient strength and succor for them. Yea, great has been our neg- your neglect towards us. I mean, I don't know. That is so scary to think that what if we are neglecting our children? What if they're not getting what they need? What if our focus is more on sports and, I don't know, girl nights out, all these things that are fine, but not if it leaves our children neglected, if our children are not getting what they need. And so then it continues. And I'll go ahead and tell you how I was reading it and, you, and then what comes next. Or I shall read, so it's Alma 66 through nine. And now behold, we desire to know the cause of this exceedingly great neglect. Yea, we desire to know the cause of your thoughtless state. Can you think to sit upon your throne in a state of thoughtless stupor while your enemies are spreading the work of death around you? Yea, while they are murdering thousands of your brethren? Yea, even they who have looked up to you for protection, yea, have placed you in a situation that ye might have succored them. Yea, ye might have sent armies unto them to have strengthened them and to have saved thousands of them from falling by the sword. But behold, this is not all. Ye have withheld your provisions from them, insomuch that many have fought and bled out their lives because of their great desire, desires which they had for the welfare of this people. Yea, and this they have done when they were about to perish with hunger because of your exceedingly great neglect towards them. And so there it goes. It continues. Where have you been? I mean, they're begging us. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Are your friends and appointments that important that it is worth leaving us on the battlefield unprepared? Did you think you could just let us watch TV and play video games so that you could escape your responsibilities? You could have spent this time teaching us, building our faith, and strengthening our hearts. Instead, you were withheld your knowledge from those of us who were counting on you. We waited for your instruction and guidance so that we could make it through the battlefield spiritually alive, but instead, you left us without courage or shields or even enough food and living water to sustain us. I really like that part where it's talking about and they were about to perish with hunger because of their exceedingly great neglect towards them. Our children need food and living water and it only comes from Christ and his word and the, you know, the prayer and the scripture study and the time with our children. And I'm going to get, I'm going to finish telling you kind of my thoughts on this Alma 60. And then I'm going to try to share some ideas and ways that I have found to work with my teenagers. And 
um, I hope it helps some of you because it, this is hard. It's not easy. And so let's go Alma 69 through 11. But behold, this is not all. Ye have withheld your provisions from them insomuch they may have fought and bled out their lives because of their great desires, which they had for the welfare of this people. Yea, and this they had done when they were about to perish with hunger because of your extremely great neglect towards them. And now, my beloved brethren, for ye ought to be beloved, yea, and ye ought to have stirred yourself more diligently for the welfare and the freedom of this people. But behold, ye have neglected them insomuch that the blood of thousands shall come upon your head for vengeance. Yea, for known unto God were all their cries and all their sufferings. Behold, could ye suppose that ye could sit upon your thrones, and because of your exceedingly goodness of God, you could do nothing, and, you would, and he would deliver you? Behold, if you have supposed this, you have supposed in vain." Okay, so there we go again. We need your help now. The battle is severe. The enemy is fierce. Can you not, can you, when you read this, can you not feel like are you saying, I am in a war. It is so hard out there. If we could unite and pull all of our strength together, we can beat them. They're, they want to. These kids want the strength. They want the courage. They want to have what it takes to battle the adversary. He said, they are upon us and the slaughter is great. They are devouring us spiritually, murdering, kidnapping, all forms of captivity, all because they want the power over us. And then Alma sixty seventeen. but behold, now the Lamanites are coming upon us, taking possessions of our lands, and they are murdering our people with the sword, yea, our women and our children, and also carrying them away captive, causing them that they should suffer all manner of afflictions, and this because of the great wickedness of those who are seeking for power and authority, even those kinmen. So have you forgotten the war that, that you faced? Have you forgotten your mistakes and the pressures that were placed upon you? This is my feelings when I read this. Like, I feel like the kids are saying, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that you fought these same fight, fights that we fought? Have you forgotten that you made mistakes and that you had pressures and they were placed on you and how heavy it was and how much help you needed? Have you forgotten the Lord's mercy as he pleaded for forgiveness and vowed, to, and you vowed, as you pleaded for forgiveness and vowed to be strong? Have you forgotten your responsibility to raise us in faith? The enemy is stronger than ever. They are more determined than ever, and you cannot ignore your responsibility. We need you. Our spiritual slaughter is great. It's just over and over they say that. We need you. We need you. This war is severe. This is brutal. Our spiritual slaughter is great. So then, um, verse 19 through 23, Or is it that ye have neglected us because ye are in the heart of our country and ye are surrounded by security, that ye do not cause food to be sent unto us and also men to strengthen our armies? Have you forgotten the commandments of the Lord your God? Yea, have you forgotten the captivity of our fathers? Have you forgotten the many times we have been delivered out of the hands of our enemies? Or do you suppose that the Lord will still deliver us while we sit upon our thrones and do not make use of the means which the Lord has provided, us, provided for us? Yea, will ye sit in idleness while ye are surrounded with thousands of those, yea, tens of thousands, who do also sit in idleness, while there are thousands round about in the borders of the land who are falling by the sword, yea, wounded and bleeding? Do ye suppose that God will look upon you as a guiltless while ye still sit and behold these things? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Now I would that ye should remember that God has said that the inward vessel shall be cleansed first, and then shall the outer vessel be cleansed also. So as I read that, I thought, it just keeps going. The begging for help just continues. I can feel the declaration that this is our responsibility. We, as parents, can change the direction of the spiritual battle that our children face. We need to put, put our own lives in order. 
We need to get our weapons sharp so that we can go out and reinforce them. We need to fortify our homes where they have a place of peace, of faith, of refuge from the storm. We really can change this direction right now. They need our provisions right now. So we have to start today. We have to start today. We have to have family home evening. We need to do the Come Follow Me program, family prayer, scriptures. Um, we need to pray for our children daily. We need to talk to them, lead them, guide them, walk beside them. That's my favorite song. Believe in them. If we don't repent and change our ways as parents and fortify our homes, the, sta- the same destruction will come upon us as well. The enemy is strong and they will spiritually destroy us. I think this is very apparent in the world today that we absolutely have got to get on the bandwagon and take control. So I want to go back to just the kind of things that we need to do to help our children. So one thing about the pray for them daily, um, my parents were so good at this. They were not only good at making sure that we had scriptures and prayer as a family, but they made sure that they always pray for us. And still today, I'm 45, and still today when I'm having a hard time, it's so fun because I can actually think to myself, I know my, my parents are praying for me. Like, I just know they always are praying for us. And that's something that gives strength. And one thing I try to do is I try to pray for all the teenagers that I know, my youth, my kids' friends, because I just feel like they all need prayers. And what if there's one child out there, one teenager out there who's in this these verses screaming for help and there's nobody there to help them. There's nobody there to guide them. There's no one there to lead them, no one to pray for them. And so I just think like we have to pray like so diligently and we have to teach them. It's another example from growing up that my dad could not find a time for us to do family scripture. And so he actually started waking us up because I had to go to school early for early morning cross country practice or track practice. So I remember him getting us up, up at 5.30, the whole family, young, old, there was 12 of us, and I'm one of the older ones, so those little babies all got up, and none of us wanted to be awake, and he gave us all a Book of Mormon, and we'd be asleep until it was our turn to read, and then he would like, you know, Sherry, it's your turn to read, read, you know, you got to get up, and so he'd tell us what verse was on, and I'd read, and I'm not sure I got a whole lot out of it at that moment, but I know it strengthened my heart and my soul, and the thing about us, we are about the refuge from the storm, our homes being a safe place, is this. If we have the scriptures and prayer and that's what is guiding our home, then we're going to have the spirit of the Holy Ghost. If we're watching the movies that are being watched in our home, the music that's being played, the language, you know, it, there's just no room for contention, anger, um, bad language. All of that stuff has got to be out of our home so that the spirit is always there because that is what's going to help our children. And I don't know if you've been to the temple, but when you walk into the temple, like all your worries, all your stresses of the day just disappear. But when you walk back out, when you're done and it's time to go back out to the world, they just come back on you. And so I always tell people I talk to that that's the same with our children. Like the problems aren't going to go away, but if they can have a safe place, a place they can come that they can feel the Holy Ghost and feel the spirit of the Lord, then they um, will have that safe refuge from the storm. And so I always say, you know, they can just drop their baggage at the door. They can just leave it at the door and come home and they can feel that love and feel that support and feel that, that kindness. And then when they leave the next day to go to school, when they, they're going to have to pick that bag up again. 
I mean, all their problems are still going to be there, all their pressures, all their, but at least they had that break and that moment of peace and that place where they could kind of refocus and recenter their lives. And so that's what I think that they're begging for. Those are the provisions we're withholding. That's what they're hungry for. That's what we're talking about. And when we fortify them, when we strengthen them, when we, when they come home and we give them the weapons they need, we're giving them their bow and arrows and their symmetries or whatever, all those things they listed in the scriptures of the things that they need. We arm them with the weapons they need. You know, you can even imagine their bag. They leave their bag of problems at the door. And then they come home and while they're home, we're filling it with all the weapons they need, with all the strength they need. And then when they leave, they do have to pick all those problems back up because they don't disappear, but they can have the weapons they need to, to be able to handle it with more strength and more courage and more fortitude so that we don't lose them. So we don't have this spiritual loss that they're talking about, this destruction. And so, um, I don't know. I was going to read a quote from Bruce R. McConkie. As members of the church, we are engaged in a mighty conflict. We are at war. We have enlisted in the cause of Christ to fight against Lucifer. The great war that rages on every side and which unfortunately is resulting in many casualties, some fatal, is no new thing. Now there neither are nor can be any neutrals in this war. Today, the war continues with increased intensity. The battle touches all, and our children are on the front lines facing the opposing forces. Thus, the need intensifies for us to strengthen our spiritual strategies. Fortifying children to become sin-resistant is a task and a blessing for parents and grandparents, family members, teachers, and leaders. We each bear responsibility to help. However, the Lord has specifically instructed parents to teach their children to understand the doctrine of repentance. Faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, in baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost, and to pray and walk uprightly with the Lord. So, um, there's a couple of thoughts that I really want to get a points I want to get across here. Is it's really hard when our children have a hard time. And so, okay, so that foundational building of repentance. I mean, the, the scriptures are full of repentance. The prophets speak repentance constantly. Repentance is the key because it keeps. It's what cuts the cords that are binding us from the adversary. It's the chains are released. It's that, it's, that, it's that freedom from the adversary that it gives us. Repentance is the key. When, until we do that, we can't exercise full faith in Christ and, and exercise the power of the Holy Ghost because Satan has such a power of us when we're in the middle of sin. And um, that's one of the hardest things to watch one of our youth struggle with sin. And as a young, young woman leader, I had such a hard time with that that I did actually did a study. I went to the Book of Mormon um, in the back and just looked up Christ the Redeemer. And I just so badly wanted to teach the children the power of the Redeemer and to how do I get across how important repentance is. And it was so comforting to read, to go in the scriptures and to read everything that the Lord has to say about um, the redeeming power of Christ and how it does fit for our children. And I'm not actually going to go through and read all of what, it, what I, like the exact verses. I'm just going to kind of give you a summary of the things that I felt and that were placed upon my heart. So these are just my words, but I found all of these in the scriptures. And if I have it, I'm actually reading it from my journal. So if I have it jotted down the actual verses, then I will tell you that. But I think this one came from, um, I think it's first Nephi 15, 14. But I just had this feeling that all must come to know the Redeemer for themselves. And then they can partake of that redeeming power through, this, through their own personal testimony. 
that they can have that peace and that joy for themselves. And so as I was reading those verses, I felt so strong that part of the struggle of having to learn repentance and having to trust that it works and having to go through the pain, the embarrassment, the change, you know, having to face your peers would be that change. All of that is, is a really important part of understanding the redeeming power of Christ. And so our youth have to go through that. They have to gain their own testimony. Not all of them will do it through having to be rebellious and think, thankfully they won't, but everybody will have to experience in their own life a time where they have to trust that the Lord loves them and that he is their savior. And it will be, it has to be kind of a hard time so that they can gain that trust. They can believe he actually loves me and I believe this. And, they, and that will bring the peace and the joy they need throughout their life. And so it's actually beautiful. But Second Nephi 6.11, as I read that, it was just, I just felt like, you know, Satan is going to scatter the flock of the Lord. That is what he's going to do. I mean, he, you know, Christ is the shepherd. Satan is the wolves, and he wants to scatter them, and then he wants to devour them one at a time. But as they gain, as our teenagers, our scattered flock, gain their own testimonies and come to a clear knowledge of the Redeemer, then they will be able to not only be gathered back to the flock of the Lord, but they will bring others with them. They will carry others back on their shoulders, and they will help others learn of what the Redeemer himself is, and they will seek him, and they will help others seek him. And so it's all about the one, each one person has to come to know who the Redeemer is. And that is really a, a special process. And this helped me as a mother and as a youth leader and as a parent, I mean, as a, like, um, like the friends that I watch my kids hang out with and to know that the Lord loves each one of them individually. If we love them even a little tiny bit, we can't even get close to knowing how much our Heavenly Father loves them. So... Second Nephi 10.2, I just felt like it was saying, like, many will be lost, spiritually perished, but the Lord promises that he is merciful and that he will restore that which justify, justly shall be restored. As they come to know the Redeemer, we must trust him to love our children enough. So, Mosiah 18.30, once they know for themselves of his redeeming power, they will be changed forever, which is a change that takes place at baptism. So that change happens all the time as we gain a greater and greater understanding of our Redeemer's love, then that change takes place. So as our children struggle and as we feel all is lost, we have to have faith in the fact that our Heavenly Father loves them and that He will help them. So I feel like that was huge. And um, another thing I want to talk about is, you know, um, I, we are doing the Come Follow Me program. And kids have all kinds of different schedules. And I know this looks different for every family. But I do try to gather my children together as often as I can. Um, but when I can't do that, if I have a teenager missing, I try my hardest to find times where I can talk to them. So I know the program because I'm doing it individually, but I also am teaching it in my home. So sometimes like I'll pick Chelsea up from track practice and she, or a meet and she got home really late. And on the way home, we'll t I will go ahead and have that little lesson with her. So, and those are really tender, sweet moments because it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's really personal. And I feel like I get a lot out of those moments. I feel like the kids get a lot out of those moments. Or I'll just go sit on Brooke's bed after a tennis match and do the same thing. I'll just sit and talk to her and we'll just kind of discuss it. But when I do have the full family together, I've had the most success with having, feeling like it's been impactful is I don't even tell them ahead of time. I just ask one of the children to lead. And I will already pre-know, like, 
prepare myself mentally what we're going to talk about. So sometimes I'll say, could you read these verses and tell us what you feel? And I just let them lead, like literally let them lead. They read and they discuss it. And then other kids chime in. If I need to, I can chime in. But a lot of times letting the oldest one just take control, they get the most out of it. Think about it when you give a talk in church and you have to prepare and give that talk. You hope it helps somebody else in the congregation, right? But you grew the most. Like that's how I feel. I grow the most when I teach a lesson, I have to give a talk. And so I feel like the kids do also. Sometimes I won't give them what to read. I'll just say whatever you want. And they'll just open to the scriptures randomly or they'll do something that maybe they studied on their own. So that has been huge. Another, as far as prayer, I just try to really encourage them to pray. But I do think it's important to really try to help them understand the importance of it. So we are moving. And my second my one's going to college so that's fine because she's leaving anyhow but my second daughter is going to be a junior next year and she's in such a good place and it's she's just so happy good friends everything's going great she does not want to move well ever since 2016 when wendy nelson gave her prayer challenge let me see if i can pull that up really quick give me one second but she gave her prayer challenge and she asked the youth to do it for um 30 days well, I loved it so much that I literally have been doing it for years now. And um, I want to read it exactly. And I didn't have it pulled up. Here it is. So let me read this to you. Would you be willing to try an experiment for 30 days? Daily kneel and thank your Heavenly Father for the scriptures. Tell him the one question you must need to have answered that day. Plead to have the Holy Ghost with you as you read. Then open your scriptures anywhere and read until you find the answer. Try it for 30 days and see what happens. So I've been doing that for years and I love it because I journal my answer. So I actually pray a question. I write down the question. And I open my scriptures and I write down the scripture reference I opened it to. And then I read until I get an answer. Rarely is it actually on the page. It's usually a feeling or prompting. That's why I like to journal it. So Chelsea was really upset about this move. And I didn't know what to do. I was thought about Nephi. And I thought about how he prayed about what his dad, the visions he had seen, the, the impressions his dad had had, and he knew for himself. Heavenly Father gave him that impression himself. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask Chelsea to find out for herself. So I, I said, let's do the Wendy Nelson 30-day challenge. You do it for 30 days, I'll do it for 30 days, and we'll compare notes, and we'll pray about this move. So after th- three days... I had gotten an answer, and being a parent, I know how it feels to get asked the same question over and over and over again, especially when you give, give the same answer every time. So for three days, I prayed about the move, and for three days, I got the same answer. So I went to Chelsea, and I said, Chelsea, I am so sorry, but I can't do this for 30 days. I've, I've prayed for three days about the Arkansas move, and I've gotten the same answer each day. So I'm going to just stick with the answer, and then when you get an answer, we can compare notes. She kind of rolls her eyes and she says, Mom, I already got my answer. So I was like, okay, what is it? And uh, we compared notes and our answer was the same answer. Now, I, I, I get it that we're two different people, so it's not like it was exactly every single word the same. But we had the same answer in the same way, not just yes. Just It was laid out exactly the same. It was so fun because we just couldn't believe it. We were like, what? Are you serious? Oh, my goodness. You know, we just had so much fun with it. But that has by itself, that single-handedly was the best thing I could have done because she got her own answer. She wasn't banking on trusting us to follow the Lord or hoping that we were doing what's right. She got an answer. So even though it hasn't helped it be easier, it has helped it be okay. 
she's okay. Like she's okay. This, if the Lord wants me to go, I will go. I will do what he wants me to do. So that has been really fun. And so that's another thing we can do. Now, as far as teaching our children how to follow the Holy Ghost, that's another thing I think they need help with to recognize impressions, to recognize when they're feeling it. And so we can just pay really close attention to our children and then try to, you know, follow, help them follow their impressions. That, that, I think that's really important. So another one of those happened with Chelsea. She, um, we, we were going to go to Des Moines, and Des Moines an hour away. And I, Luke was the only one here to babysit, and he's fine. He's old enough to babysit. He just doesn't feel good. He, he's been sick for six years with what they call POTS, P-O-T-S. It's an, autonomous, it's an autonomic dysfunction, so he deals with chronic headaches, stomach aches, and extreme fatigue, leg pain. Um, I don't know. He has everything. <laughs> Anyhow. So he wasn't feeling good at all that day. And Carson at the time, I think, was three and he was just a handful, and I, I just was really hesitant to go, but Chelsea, I mean, that's the only time we could go, we had, she needed to get, get this stuff, we had to go, so we went, and as we were leaving town, we were probably on the freeway, we, I don't think we were quite on the freeway, so we're probably 15 minutes, because it takes about 15 minutes to get to the freeway from our house, about 15 minutes out, and Chelsea says, mom, are you feeling okay about this, and I said, yeah, I feel fine, and then I thought about it, I thought, why'd she ask me that question, maybe she's not feeling fine, so I said, are you feeling okay about this, she said, I don't know. I'm sure it's fine. I said, she goes, I feel a little nervous, and I keep feeling like it's not right, but I'm sure it's fine. And instantly, I was so excited about this opportunity. I thought, this is my chance to help her, follow her inspiration. I said, well, let's go back and check. So we got back, and because I have so many children, you know, it's hard to get away the first time, so I didn't want to, like, ruffle any feathers. I said, you stay in the car. I'll run in. See if I hear any, like, upset voices or anything unusual. If not, we'll just go back out. So I came in, I, I didn't hear anything. So I was looking for them, like, where are they? There's no children here. And then I looked outside and they were on the hill running, the, we have a big hill out back, and they were running the hill, they were laughing, it looked like everything seemed fine. So I go back to the car and I said, Chelsea, um, I think everything's fine. And she thought, she said, I said, do you want to come see? I said, they're outside, you can see. So she said, yeah. So she comes in and she looks at it. She's like, man, they seem fine. That's weird, I really felt like something was wrong. I said, well, I think they're fine, let's just go. She said, you know what, I just want to ask Luke and make sure. And I thought, oh, man, we're never going to get out of here if you ask Luke because all the kids are going to hound us again. But anyway, she opens the door, and she says, hey, Luke, are you okay? And oh, my goodness, he throws his hands in the air. How did you know I needed you? What? How are you home again? Oh, my goodness. He starts just crying. He said, it has been so hard. He said, I brought the kids out here because it has been so rough, and I just was hoping to wear them out. And it was all kinds of different stories he had told us. And it was the coolest experience ever. Like, Chelsea just looks at me. Oh, my goodness. I felt the Holy Ghost, and I followed through. And ever since, she made a commitment. If she thinks it, she's going to follow it. Like, because you know how it's hard to tell if it's your voice or the Holy Ghost's voice? She's decided if I feel it and it's in accordance with the Lord or something that he would guide me to do, I'm going to follow it just in case it's the Holy Ghost. And if it's not, well, it's still a good idea. <laughs> so um, that's been really fun. So those are just some ideas of ways to help incorporate repentance, faith in Christ, that, you know, um, Holy Ghost, praying, walking uprightly. Those are just some ideas. Um, it's hard. I guess that's the bottom line. It's, it's just hard. But one thing, another study I did was power of God. And in Alma 30, 26, 35, it just talks about, like, once again, I don't have the actual scripture opened up, but you can re- reference them and see it for yourself. I like to apply all my scriptures in my journal. So it says, I wrote down, 
We have every reason to rejoice for the power of God is unending and we are on his side. God has all power, all wisdom, all understanding. He comprehendeth all things and he is full of all mercy. And he loves our children with all his love. And he loves us with all his love. And if we seek to follow him and if we seek to lead our children in line with his guidance, then he will give that to us. He has the power that he can just speak it and it's there. So not everything's going to be perfect and not everything's going to go exactly, but he will help us. In fact, okay, another scripture. I'm just going to pull this one up too real quick because I did one on prayer. I'm kind of crazy, aren't I? I did one on prayer and I loved it so much because, um, let's see if I can find it. Jacob 7, 22, Heavenly Father hears our cries and will answer our prayers. But the one I loved is 2 Nephi 26, 15. I felt like it said, it was just talking about how the prayers of the faithful will protect and strengthen and lift the wayward and drifted. So as our children have a hard time, it's okay. And I do have a favorite story about children who struggle because it, it changed how I parent and it happened actually before I ever had children on my own. One Sunday while home from college, I was attending my family's ward and I noticed a girl several years younger than myself whose countenance had clearly darkened. It was apparent she was struggling. I found her mom and checked on her, on Susan. We're going to call her Susan. It's a name change to see if anything had changed, if she needed anything. And the mom was very optimistic, how amazing Susan was, how well she was doing. And I kind of walked away thinking, okay, she's really naive. I don't know why she can't see it, but she's in denial. So a few months later, I came back again, and I was in the same situation. I was at church again, and this time, Susan had blue hair, she had piercings all over her whole body, and her countenance had dropped even further. I mean, she was just absolutely darkening. So once again, I asked her mom, so how is Susan doing? And again, her mom chatted with me for some time of how wonderful Susan was. As I listened to her mom and I looked at her daughter, I could not understand how her mom thought she was talking about the same girl. I mean, she was in serious, serious denial. Several years later, same situation. This time I had a family. um, Oh, it was so, yeah, this time I had a family and I was, and sitting next to us was Susan and her family. And this was the coolest thing. There sat the most wonderful mother and follower of Christ. So Susan became everything her mom had said she was and more. As a young mom, this was a huge lesson to me. One that I have shared with every single person I possibly can because I think it's the biggest key. For I saw with my own eyes that we must believe in our kids. We must see them for who they are. We must look past their moments of mishap and look forward to who we know they will become. As I thought about it, I realized that that's exactly what my own mother has done for me. She believed in me until I became who she knew I was. Now, as I'm a mother of teenagers, it's difficult to watch the adversary attack my kids and the kids that I teach ruthlessly. It is difficult to watch them listen to his lies and then give in to his endless taunting. However, it is amazing to watch them shake it off, get up, and stand tall again. I guarantee you that he will not let up. However, these kids are so powerful and they can resist him, especially with the faith of their parents. We are their faith. And when they have a hard time, let us remember um, that our Heavenly Father never gives up on them. 
that he knew them before they came to our home and he knows them now and everything they're struggling with. He knows who they can become. So we must have faith in him and we must see them as he sees them. They are not out of his reach. I love what Elder Holland says. However late you think you are, however many chances you think you have missed, however mistakes you may have felt, or talents you think you don't have, or however far from home and family and God you have traveled, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement can shine. So let us love our teenagers every day. Let's give them a hug. Let's pray for them. Let's teach them. Let's believe in them. And let's tell them how much we believe in them. And if we do all these things, I believe that we can raise a sin-resistant generation. They may sin, (laughs) but through our love and through our belief and through our diligence, we can help them become sin-resistant because they will gain a testimony of the redeeming love of their Savior, one that will last them a lifetime. And they will pass that love on to our grandchildren and their grand, and, you know, and then on and on. This is so much bigger than us. It's going to go on for generations and generations if we will do our part. And I just really encourage everybody to go home and love your teenagers and love your fr- teenagers' friends and love the youth at church. This is our rising generation, and they are the greatest that have ever been here. And we need them, and they need us. And that's all I have to say for you guys today. Come back and come back often. Uh, visit us at spiritualcrusade.com for daily talks and lessons and memes. And um, if you get anything from our podcast, please share with others. We really appreciate your support and love and are excited to put new content, content out each week. So come back again. Bye.